Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time of the Ben Jarowski Show. As I speak, it is Friday, September 24th, 2021. Headline in my beloved Bright One, home delivered as always. You're welcome, Bright One. Uh, Sox clinch. Yes, first American League Central title since 2008. Secures team's second straight postseason trip. But we're not going to be talking about that uh, on today's show. First of all, uh, my guest is a Cubs fan, so probably a lot of sour grapes about my beloved White Sox uh, winning. <laughs> guess is nodding her head like going, yeah, I don't care. Uh, yeah, anyway, <laughs> without I further was, ado, <laughs> you go ahead. I was at go the ahead, game distinguished on, guest. I, I was at the game on Wednesday. I didn't even know the Sox were even close to flinching. But my brother's like, yeah, it was expected. And he said, yawn. When my older sister was asking a text message, because this was expected, so well, good for them. No, it's good. Oh, I'm not. God. I'm not that bitter about it. I'm not. I'm not, not one of those people bitter. who was like upset. It's fine. Uh, as you, a long time uh, listeners of the Ben Drosky Show know, that uh, distinctive voice belongs to Ramana Hussein. I'll introduce herself, uh, distinguished uh, editor and uh, columnist for my beloved Bright One, the pr- uh, previously mentioned Chicago Sun Times. Uh, she comes in the show every other Friday. And we do the deep dive and all, all the issues of the day, or at least all the issues that are really bothering us uh, or, you know, provoking thought with us. Uh, so Lord knows where we, we have a scan, by the way, folks, this is, you know, Ramana and I do a, a, a pre-show thing. We have a whole list and sometimes we get to the items on the list and sometimes we go off on tangents. So let's see where we uh, go today, Ramana. And let's just start with the story that's breaking. Uh, as I told you, uh, by the time I uh, woke at the, um, well, I'm always woke. <laughs> uh, but the time I got out of bed at the ungodly uh, early hour of 9.30, yeah, it was an early morning for me, I had already received two uh, texts uh, people, from people, an essay written in the New York Times uh, by a woman named Shelley Ross, who was a former executive at ABC, uh, accusing Chris Cuomo of sexual harassment. And I don't even have to say allegedly uh, because she has, they have in the story, uh, the email uh, or text, whatever it was, that Chris Cuomo sent to uh, Shelley Ross way back when in 2005, apologizing 
for the incident where he grabbed her by her butt. Uh, and of course, Chris Cuomo is the, uh, CNN superstar, uh, whose brother, Andrew Cuomo is former governor of New York. And it looks like this, uh, behavior toward women, uh, runs in a family. Uh, Andrew Cuomo had to step down because they, f- I don't, I forget how many, uh, accusations of harassment. So your thoughts on this, uh, Ramana to get us going. No, I mean, it, it's sad because for a long time, behavior like this was accepted, um, and this was just in 2005. I, I would think by that point, people would say that, you know, this is definitely something that's wrong. But this just shows you how prevalent this type of behavior is. And it's interesting because both Andrew and Chris Cuomo, during the height of the pandemic, you know, it was all about how they were big superstars, you know, for the brother interviewing the 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 brothers interviewing each other about uh, COVID and you know then I think Chris Cuomo got COVID and then you know he was he was recording from his basement and you know I I, I think he got a little like like people were kind of ripping on him for that because they're like yeah your basement's probably like a you know mansion down there and so you know cause, but you know it's interesting because they were like you know big superstars just a few months ago. And now it's like, you're hearing about all these allegations against them. Yeah. So the Chris Cuomo, when I saw the headline, I have to tell you, I just automatically thought it was the, it was Andrew Cuomo. I was like, and then I, then you told me it was Chris Cuomo. And I was like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. It was an ABC, former ABC executive. This woman said that she was sitting in on an ottoman at a party and he comes in and he like gives her a hug and that's when he grabs her butt and he did this all in front of the woman's husband and then sends her, you know, and then he's like, oh, I guess I can't do this anymore now that you're my boss or you're not my boss or you're not my boss anymore. And she said something like she like pushed him off and she immediately left the party. And, you know, I think that gave him some sort of signal that that what he did was wrong. But I don't know what goes on in your mind for you to go and do that. And this is something that men have been doing for years, you know, grabbing women's butts and other body parts. But, you know, a lot of times people have laughed it off. Um, I know you're going to talk about Bill Clinton later, but everybody always talks about what a charmer he is. And he kind of seems like he's, I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's been accused of, gro- you know, he has been accused of groping several women, right? Are we talk about Billy Clinton now? <laughs> I wasn't sure. Yes. Yeah, oh my yeah, God. He's Bill, been accused but- of rape. I mean, Bill Clinton yeah, is. Yeah, I know. He, I know. He's, I know. He's been. I know. He's been accused of rape. But I was just going to say, like, you know, I, I, I don't. I haven't. There were some probably cases where he. I know he was accused of sexual harassment. I'm trying to remember like details whether he was accused of ever grabbing someone. But I'm just saying this is something that you know, especially with men in power, we hear about these stories over and over again. But sometimes I think like, you know, in this day and age with my generation, like I thought you know, people know that this is something that you're not supposed to do. But every once in a while, you hear about these people doing these things. And, you know, a lot of times, women stay quiet about it, because they're like, sometimes I've had cases where I'm like, did that really just happen? Like, you know, after someone touched me where they weren't supposed to. So I think there's a lot of in women's minds are like, did that just really happen? But in this case, I think, it was something that you know this woman thought knew was wrong, and she wasn't like sitting there questioning about. It. I'm just saying that like you sometimes they're played in your mind. We're like, was that a mistake? Sometimes when somebody's hand goes against something, and you're like, wait, what just happened? So I don't know. 
it's a it's a very I, I just can't believe that people still do this or men still do. Well, this. Uh, I mean, I can, I can, yeah. but this in, was in, I just people you know. This was no accidental brush, as you pointed out. This was a full uh, grab, and you know, if you just put it in the context of the time, I just thought of this while you were talking. Uh, this uh, this um, the buck grabbing occurred in 2005. Was roughly around the time of the infamous uh, pussy grabbing tape. And uh, just think about that, oh, yeah. Billy Bush and uh, Donald Trump. And Donald Trump's, what he said to Bush is that when you're a celebrity, you can just do this. You, this is the behavior yeah. you could do. And apparently True. Chris Cuomo subscribed to the same notion. You could just do whatever you want. Uh, and this was the attitude of many powerful men. Uh, and uh, and it, in the essay, and I'll ask you about this. In the essay, uh, Shelley Ross bends over backward to make it look as though she's not vindictive uh, and that she's not trying to get Chris Cuomo fired, that she's merely trying to raise a point. And I I understand why she wrote that, Romana, because the counterpunch is so strong that, that when you write essays now or you write columns, you always anticipate the counterpunch that's going to come like when people say, oh, who cares about you? Or why are you even mentioning this? So she f feels compelled to justify so why herself. Why did you take so long? Why did you take so long? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Yeah. Why? Yeah. They'll, 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 they'll put her. And I'm like, I got to get your thoughts because I, I'm like, I, if I were her editor, it's a whole other thing. I would say, you know what? You shouldn't apologize for telling this tale. Oh boy. Chris Cuomo was walking around with a t-shirt about a week ago that said truth, implying that his brother uh, was victimized by untruths. And they live in this little bubble where, you know, they get accused of things that, of wrongdoings, and it, clearly the evidence is against them, but instead of opening up and just acknowledging what they've done, they pretend as though they're victims. We're going to get into this in a little while later with cancel culture, but they pretend like they're victims. And so Shelley Ross, writing the essay, feels compelled to almost like apologize, Romana, for telling the truth, speaking of truth, about what the sleazebag did to her in a bar. Uh, your thoughts as an editor and a writer, the the compulsion that people feel in this case to like sort of apologize almost for telling the truth. Go ahead. I think like you hit it on the, you hit the nail on the head in the sense that she feels like, you know, people are going to come out and criticize her. So she's just trying to defend herself in that way. And, and you talked about a little bit about cancel culture. Maybe she feels like, you know, now that there's this like backlash against cancel culture, she feels that, you know, people are going to all like, you know, people are going to come out and say, Hey, you know, you're trying to destroy a man's career and like, can't, you know, have help get him canceled. And so she's just trying to, I think she's just trying to defend herself and just kind of protecting herself. Um, I don't know if I, I, I read bits of the essay, so I don't, I don't know how she gauged it in, you know, her apologetic tone, but she, maybe she does really mean it. Like she doesn't want him to lose his job. She's just saying that, you know, this is something that he did was wrong and she hopes that he learned from it or realizes that what he did was wrong. Cause it didn't Chris, um, counsel Andrew. Yes. Also in, in, in the, um, when it comes to using the sexual, um, harassment allegations, so, yeah, you know, maybe she's just saying that, you know, maybe you need to look at your behavior a little carefully and maybe you need to stop justifying certain things. Because I think that's what happens in a lot of these cases. A lot of 
people do this type of behavior and then, you know, when someone says it's wrong, they're like, oh, he was, he didn't mean it that way. And he's always been a bit of a flirt. They say that kind of stuff and people let it, that's how things get, let, you know, people let things, certain things slide. Well, uh, you've been in a newsroom now for, well, we haven't, nobody's been in a literal newsroom uh, for two years or whatever, how long it's been. Uh, But what's the culture in a newsroom? from when you began the business and uh, today in terms of how men uh, feel free to uh, treat women? Uh, I think there's some things that have changed and some things that haven't changed. Um, I probably have been touched some places where I shouldn't have been by uh, my colleagues, but nobody, nobody right now that's working at the Sun Times. Um, but I hear like anecdotally, like women who were boomers or a little older than me and talk about the things they went with, dealt with. And so I, I, I compare, I, when I compare it to what they dealt with, I mean, it, like I remember once being in a newsroom and hearing a veteran um, reporter talking about how this one journalist who everybody loves and there's plaques dedicated, uh, how he, he groped every single woman. That was just what he did. And everybody would laugh it off. And um, another reporter that I know told me that uh, her on her first day, um, this editor came and like had like a Playboy magazine and just like opened it in front of her and said something like, does you, do you look like that? Like, you know, something really uh, offensive. And so, you know, I hear cases like that. I've never had anything done to me that extremely, but I do have friends who have been groped or touched by uh people from my generation in the newsroom. So stuff like that still does happen. It's just a matter of, um, you know, the degree, I think. But to say that it's totally gone, I mean, I think women do get treated differently in newsrooms in general. I don't think that's changed. Um, we're not part of the old boys club. I, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think, I mean, I, I still think our newsrooms, I mean, we've talked about this. They're not as diverse as a lot of journalists like to think they are it's still the hierarchy is still very much white male. And, and it's, it's something that kind of happens naturally. Like, you know, a lot of white guys are friends with a lot of other white guys and they kind of form this sort of clique. And even if I'm friends with a lot of these people, I'm not friends with them in a certain way. And a lot of things do happen like in social settings too. We hear a lot about these cases um, in social settings. I think now, I think maybe in the old, probably less prevalent now is like in the actual newsroom, but not to say that it doesn't happen. I think a lot of the stuff today, it happens outside the newsroom and social settings. So when you were breaking in, uh, did you ever, was there ever a moment, God, here's a man asking a woman, what do women talk about when men are not around? Was there ever a moment? <laughs> a where, lot, a lot. <laughs> a, a, a moment where an, a, an older woman a, a, of the boomer persuasion sort of sat you down and explained, this is how it's going to be. And this is how, if it happens, what you should do. Uh, did, was there, was there, did you ever have any exchanges like that? No, I never had any exchanges like, well, this is what's going to happen. We've always had discussions about like, this is what happened in my day. Um, but I did have one time, one time, um, a boom, uh, I guess I should say a colleague of mine who was a boomer persuasion she told me to watch out for this one person because she said that he was usually drinking a lot and he might say something. And so she just said, please be careful of this X, Y, or Z. And that was one time that did happen, but not, but this person never did anything. Um, 
this person was always very nice being polite, but she told me that he was hung over a lot of days or just was drinking that morning was an alcoholic. And she just said he might say something to you or, you know, so just be careful. Well, I mean, we have definitely evolved as a species, uh, to a certain point where, uh, a bit different behaviors. Cause I could tell you, uh, I've, I remember, I mean, I was, I'm not old enough to have been on the boat, but I've read many articles about this uh, party uh, that President Kennedy had on a, on a boat, I think it was, and Ben Bradley was there from the Washington Post, who was the uh, chief editor of the Washington Post, or maybe he was, New, he was the chief editor of, News, of Newsweek at the time, doesn't matter. The point is, it was a combination of powerful uh, politicians and media types, and their wives were there, uh, and everybody was drinking, and, uh, you know, of course, they're all white. And man, they're just like grabbing women here and grabbing women there. And the wife leaves the room and you grab the, the friend. And and uh, I'm reading these articles and it's like nobody reports on it. You know, Ben Bradley is literally there in on the boat. Okay. Talk about being there when the scoop happens and the world has changed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it. Um, and so that's it's funny because I asked that question about it, it was accepted. <laughs> yes. I think it's accepted less now, so it's more on the down low, but it still happens, you know, for sure. It still happens. Uh, all right. Uh, let's move on and talk about my utter obsession with how cancel culture is used uh, as a weapon. And uh, this is kind of a lead-in to say that I've been um, avoiding the homework assignment uh, that Romana gave me uh, to watch The Chair uh, what is it on Netflix or FX? I forget where it's, it's on. Yeah, it's on Netflix. So I know you can, it's on Netflix. You can yeah. watch it. No, and I just can't it. So, uh, all right. Why don't you tell folks what the chair is about? And then we'll get into the issue of cancel culture and my reluctance to watch it. Go ahead. First of all, you should watch the show, but I have to admit that I still haven't watched pose. And that's one of your first homework assignments for me. So I do get points taken off for that, but you do have to watch the chair. Overall, I thought the chair was really good. Um, it does talk about, it is basically about cancel culture. And the show focuses on Sandra Oh, this woman who is um, Asian American, and she becomes head of this English department at this fictional college. Anyway, one of the main things that she has to deal with is this man who is also her love interest. He used to be like this rock star professor. Anyway, he's trying to demonstrate a point or point out to something. And he, while he's talking about something, he just does the Hitler salute. And then, you know, of course, some students record him doing that. And then it becomes this whole thing where it snowballs into this thing where, you know, they want him off. They want him not teach anymore. And there's this whole thing about cancel culture. And this character, this is my problem with the show. It's like, yes, you do end up feeling bad for this guy. You know, his wife just died. The whole thing is that he's like a basket case. His wife just died. He's, he's grieving. First of all, my thought was he shouldn't even be teaching right now. He should have taken a leave of absence. So he's like always like hungover and he doesn't know, you know, he's like he doesn't have this, you know, shit together. And I was like thinking to myself, okay, any woman of color, if she came in school like that, all disheveled and, you know, drunk. They would totally get get canceled right away. So, you know, we're supposed to think like, oh, this guy's so charming and, you know, he's so funny. And, you know, and they do make him like into this character where you're like, okay, I do feel sorry for him. 
But my whole thing was like this show was trying to bend over backwards to show like what a likable guy is. Because, you know, Sandra Oh has a daughter in the show and he's very good with the daughter. And they're showing that he's like, you know, good with kids. Okay. <laughs> my whole thing was like, I felt like the show was going way overboard, focusing on him and trying to show like his point of view. My whole argument with the show was like, why not show why these kids are upset? And why this isn't okay. And they kind of touch upon that about how a lot, of, a lot of these professors, like these older white professors, are kind of out of touch with kids these days. But I just kind of felt like, okay, it's just too much. And, you know, that's the whole thing. It's the white men and white people in general who are always complaining about how cancel culture is a little too much. Because it's canceling them. That's why. <laughs> so it's like, so, and, and I, and I'm someone who's, I look at each case individually. I don't cancel people right away I know some of my friends it's really funny I was talking to my some of my South Asian friends and one of my friends told me that her kids are very into cancel culture and she goes they, they were getting mad at her because she was watching the Bill Cosby show and she's like well this is the show that I like and they're like you shouldn't be watching this mom and they were like you know scolding her because she was watching this and she's like come on let me watch Bill Cosby I thought this was a good show this is really popular at, at the time and I'm not saying you can't have to stop watching things that people made it's just we have this awareness and how hold them accountable. What's wrong with holding people accountable? And there are some people that I feel like have done such reprehensible things that I don't know. It does kind of turn me off because their art and their music. But you know, I'm not saying that I totally will be like upset if somebody's listening to that stuff. But I think I think cancel culture in general, it just is holding people accountable. And now that it's holding people who are always you know, never got canceled before in their lives because people have been of color have been getting canceled for a long time. I, well, I think. Yeah, I first of all, I I think the just I just got smile. I can't even. I have so much to say. I can't even get it out. Cancel culture is just this made up term that the right uses to um, intimidate the left, and the fact that they did a TV show about this on Netflix. Uh, with Sandra O oh in the in the lead shows how far the left has been intimidated. They take it seriously because the reality, as I see it in this country right now, Ramana, the only people literally losing their jobs or facing suits uh, uh, and uh, career being damaged are not from the the right, but from the left. So, for instance, you're not allowed to teach about slavery uh, in uh, some school districts in the South because that would offend. Talk about cancel culture. Like, discussing slavery would offend a white child. So whose culture is oh, yeah. being canceled there? Colin Kaepernick lost his career. <laughs> whose culture was canceled there? Oh, yeah. You know, but cancel culture is only, it's... They it's canceled like it's, him. Yeah, they can't. They only apply, it means... It, when you say cancel culture, it, it automatically means people of liberal persuasion punishing conservatives. And conservatives have done a great job of putting it out there. So now liberals buy into it. Self-hating liberals. And they create a show called The Chair, which is all about some white guy getting canceled. I know it's not fair. I haven't seen it. So I'm not, you're right. You're going to accuse me of canceling The Chair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. There are there are good points in, made in the show because they do touch upon how like a lot of these uh, schools and universities are really out of touch with, you know, and a lot of these professors are just out of touch with what's happening in the world. So 
they do touch on that. But yeah, my whole whole issue was like they they made you sympathize with this white guy so much to the point where it's like, okay, we see where you're going, and it's just like, <laughs> I know, I I know what I know, I know as like a human being, I do try to take each case individually. I mean, yes, I make fun of white people all the time, but I do look at most white people as human beings, and you know, I do look at each case differently. But I feel like just in the show, like you know what message are you sending? Why don't you cancel? Like, you know, why can't you show someone else being canceled? It's always like this white person being canceled. But oh, I'm so I'm really at the core of me. I'm really a good person. That's what it it's like, white people always have to be humanized to the to the extent where it's like, Oh, God, poor you. So (laughs) I, I just think I think that no other no other characters get the treatment like some white characters do. It's just kind of funny. And I do know people are complex. I'm not saying that. But it's just like that was just my beef with it, but overall, I thought it was a good show. I think you might like it. I don't think well, you have to cancel it right away. All right, you're, you're uh, being you're being you're being part of the system now. By I'm part but of no, the I, system. I, I wanted to give it a. Ch- I do want. I do wanted to give it a chance. So I do think it's overall it's good. But my beef with it was the bending over backwards to sympathize with this guy, and you do well, end up sympathizing with him. I can tell you that. I've been thinking a lot about uh, cancel culture in comedy. I think about it all the time anyway because I'm so into comedy. I watch, uh, spend lots of time watching old YouTube clips, comedians. And uh, I stumbled upon a Joan Rivers clip. I was a big fan of Joan Rivers, uh, even though her politics were to the right of mine. But I thought she was very funny and what a story she had. Anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, And she gave it, she made a joke about the Holocaust. And uh, this, I forgot about this. This I forget when this happened. It was probably, I don't know, I've lost track of time. It could be the 90s, who knows. Uh, anyway, she made a joke about the Holocaust, and she was immediately chided uh, by the Anti-Defamation League and other Jewish organizations for her joke. Uh, and um, she was, it, it was demanded that she apologize. And the clip I saw, she was refusing to apologize. She says, I, I'm, I should be able to make uh, jokes about the Holocaust. My entire family was wiped out in the Holocaust, or my husband's entire family was wiped out in the Holocaust. So basically, F you for telling me what I can and cannot do. And it kind of reminded me of um, when uh, uh, black comedians uh, talk about that they should have the right to say uh, the N-word. Only they should have it uh, because it's it's part of their culture. So... Uh, I had a, you know, I was sort of sympathetic to Joan Rivers, uh, and especially kind of like I got a kick out of, like the joke was kind of funny uh, coming out of a Jewish woman's mouth. You get what I'm saying? If it was a white person, uh, Gentile saying it, I don't know if it would be that funny. Um, So what's your thoughts about that? Like, is there certain rules in your mind that vary from person to person telling a joke? Yeah, I think so. I think I I do think I understand. I mean, I know why African Americans say that they can use the N word, and I know there's discussion within the African American community about whether they should be using it or not. But I think if anybody is going to have the discussion, it's people who are African American. I don't think I'm part. I don't think I should be part of that discussion, and I should definitely not be using the N word, and neither should anybody that's not African American. But I do understand the jokes that belong to you when there's groups. I mean, I make fun of Indian people all the time and I make fun of Muslim people all the time. But they're they're more like 
they're kind of inside jokes. If I, and we usually say it amongst each other. Like if I'm in a crowd of Indian people, they, they, they'll get it maybe, but I don't want other people making fun of me or, or, you know, my people, but yeah, I, I understand it. But the Joan Rivers things, I don't, I don't even remember that. When did that oh, happen? I, I, what exactly did she shit? Uh, this was years. She in- was never canceled though. No, she, uh, well, she was chided. Yeah. Okay. So cancel means like you lose uh, appearances and stuff. Uh, I don't think she did. She was chided and then she defensively responded. Uh, she did a counterpunch. She said, I'll say whatever I damn well want to say. and You're not going to tell me. And then she did the bit that I hear so many comedians say, which is this is this is a joke. This is how we deal with hate. You make a joke about it. And uh, and so the joke she made was not that different. Um, it was just sort of mocking the Holocaust. Uh, and, uh, it was sort of like Mel Brooks style. I can't remember the specific joke. And I can I just remember that her counterpunch, her strong counterpunch, uh, reminded me of, of, uh, the, the argument raised by a lot of comedians when they defend themselves, uh, which we don't really accept these days because now comedians say that everybody's gotten overly sensitive and we can't make fun of certain races and, and and I don't usually agree with that because usually the people making the jokes aren't of that race. They're or like, you know, men making saying certain things about women that are totally sexist. So yes, as I know some comedians are like, oh, we've gotten overly sensitive. And Joan Rivers was somebody I knew. Um, I, I definitely know who she was, but I didn't really particularly like her comedy. But that's because I used to I used to watch her on those um when she would do the round table discussions on people's clothes. Sometimes she was pretty funny. That was the show. Yeah. Oh, okay. So on E! Network, where they would do, I think it was Fashion Police. And then her daughter took over, I think, after after she passed away. Or her daughter was on the show with her. But I, you know, I, I guess to me, she was like Johnny Carson, like a little outdated for me. But but um, I did I did watch her sometimes. Oh, Sorry, Johnny Carson you, was outdated. I, yeah. I never understood. I mean, I still, I think. I think he was still in the air when I was a kid. Whenever I saw it, I was like, who is this guy? He's like ancient. And I didn't think his jokes were very funny. Well, let me just say something to you. Uh, Johnny Carson was on the air for the first 20 years of your existence. Oh, okay. Uh, just pointing that out. Just I know your existence. Uh, I know when it began. And I know when Johnny Carson went off the air. I This is, this is a generational uh, dispute, ladies and gentlemen. I love Johnny Carson. I still watch. I just watched... Speaking of which, this is so generation. I said this. I'm getting ahead of myself here, Romana. I said I'm really loving the uh, show uh, Only Murders in the Building, which is with Martin Short and Steve Martin uh, and Selena Gomez. And and so Romana said to me, well, do you recommend it? I go, only to people age 65 and above. I can't imagine anybody younger than 60. All right, I'll cut it down to 60. Liking that show. But what? I started, I'm really into Martin Short, and Ramon, I started watching on uh, YouTube. Man, there's some Martin Short on the Johnny Carson show. I'm uh, I'm laughing hard. Oh, God. And I guess you you would have looked at it and just go a groaner. Um. All right. Uh, let's, uh, before we get into Ramon's recommendations, uh, let's discuss uh, something that I think you and I will agree on. Uh, Tucker Carlson, the most despicable person on TV. How has this man's culture not been canceled? The, the hate he spews on a, a regular basis is so destructive. 
and um, and then his denials of it. So now he's got this white replacement theory he's throwing around, uh, and then he pretends like he's not really into white replacement theory. He, you know, is just offering an opinion, and he tries to duck behind that. And I don't know, uh, Romano, your thoughts on Tucker Carlson and how, why he's, what it means that he's so popular and uh, in America today. I have no idea. And you know what? He's actually Gen X. He's a Gen Xer because a, a friend of mine that I went to grad school with went to undergrad with him. I remember she was telling me this is when he started first, you know, coming on the air as a young commentator. Um, I have to say that I'm not someone who watches his, his uh, I'm not part of his audience. But yeah, but that it's not a shock that he is very popular because look at who was president for the last four years before Biden was elected. This is what this is the bread and butter for a crowd. Uh, that's the whole thing. That's the whole make America great again. It's the white replacement theory. And this theory is not just something that's in the United States. It's, it's something that's being talked about in Europe as well. Um, once in a while, you hear about someone that you know goes off and shoots a bunch of people, people of color. It's because these people are motivated by the white replacement theory. A lot of these people are reading, you know, these manifestos or writing these manifestos, and they kind of quote the white replacement theory. I read, I read a book actually recently where they're talking about this and how it kind of motivates a lot of people. So, the white replacement theory isn't something new. You don't call it that necessarily, but that's the whole thing. Like, you know, make America great again. What does that mean when it was the 1950s when all you would see is like white faces, right? Or, you know, there were definitely people of color in the United States, but it was the white faces that were out there in the prominence. And that's people of color are a threat to a lot of people in this country. And when people see refugees and immigrants, I think that's what Tucker Carlson was um, talking about Joe Biden and how Joe Biden had spoken about how, you know, there's a lot of diversity in this country and with the refugees coming in, um, in a couple of years, the white population will be dwindling down. And Joe Biden basically said that was a plus, but we have Tucker Carlson saying that, you know, this is some scheme that Joe Biden is, you know, trying to implement the Democrats and the left are trying to implement. It's nothing you're trying to implement. It's just a fact. It's just a, you know, something that's just based in reality. It's not a bad thing, but for a lot of people, that is a bad thing. So, you know, it does work. You know, he's always going to have an audience, I think, for a while. It, it is, this is just, you know, why is Fox News even popular? A lot of the things they talk about, you know, the anti-vaccination hysteria, this is what, this feeds into what people want to believe. So it's, Fox News is going to be popular for a very, very long time. I don't think it's going away anytime too, soon. And either is Tucker Carlson. I don't know. Did he still wear the bow tie? Um, he, <laughs> uh, you know what? That's, That's a challenge. My him. memory. Uh, is he wearing the bow? I don't think he's wearing a bow tie. It, it's this, the clip I saw where it, it is connected to uh, the images of uh, Haitian refugees getting whipped. Uh, which we've talked about in the show a lot this week, uh, by Border Patrol uh, officers on horses. Uh, and then uh, Tucker Carlson was saying, I mean, I was, I was, it was funny because I'll back up for a little bit. I was wondering how the right was going to spin this horrific image. They could have gone two ways uh, with it, uh, with the anti 
Biden uh, rhetoric. Uh, how are they going to spin this? Uh, and um, they went with uh, Biden has lost control of the border. This would never would have happened with Trump, which I, I'm not quite sure what they were getting at. Did they literally mean that the Haitian refugees would not be coming across the border uh, if Trump were still in office? Or did they mean that they would not be treated uh, that be whipped uh, by border patrolmen on horses? Uh, no, no, I, I don't think they were worried about the latter, uh, and they were they were more worried that the notion that the country's being invaded, and that's uh, when Tucker Carlson said, "Well, you know, these these are the kind of people that um, Joe Biden wants to bring in the country because they'll end up voting Democrat." And just to distill. The, the torture that so many refugees have gone through uh, to get to that border, you know, everything from surviving earthquakes to repression to just the calamity of what existence can be, Romana, just to distill that to somehow or other a plot by Democrats. To, <laughs> I mean, it's like, how does your brain work? How is it wired that way? That's so twisted. Uh, so that was, yeah, that. But I can't remember if he was wearing a bow. I think he was wearing a regular tie when he said it. It would have been really ridiculous in a bow tie, even more so. All right, let's close with your recommendations. Uh, and um, uh, we'll start with, uh, i We'll start with yours. What are you uh, recommending well, good people watch? I've already talked about this, but I will mention again. I do. So I started watching Ted Lasso like two weeks ago, and I finished the first season. And I'm going to watch the second season. And yes, I like it as much as everybody is saying how good it is. So it is really good. And I think you'd like it too. Um, and I do want to watch the Ken Burns documentary on Muhammad Ali for sure, because I, I think. You have this great film, this great documentary, documentary filmmaker, and then you have this great subject. I, I think I told you that, or I was telling, um, yeah, I think I was telling you, I think Muhammad Ali is like the Beatles in the sense where this is like a subject matter that nobody can ever get tired of. And, you know, Muhammad Ali was such a, a it's like he was such a wonderful character. I always tell people, you know, I never met, this is before social media. Anywhere you'd go around the world, people knew who he was. I mean, my dad was a fan, and my dad grew up in a small village in India. And it's it's just, his story is just so unique, so uniquely American. And I think everybody just loved him. I, I've never met anybody who said that they didn't like him. Even if they weren't a big boxing, you weren't somebody who watched boxing. They just thought he was such a charismatic character. Yeah, yeah, well put. I, um, I watched last night uh, the first episode it's hard for me to convey how much I was into it. The first episode takes in, uh, follows Muhammad Ali's life from the time he was born in 1942 to 1964 when he defeated Sonny Liston to, to become the heavyweight champion. And this is before he became such a uh, controversial political figure uh, when he uh, j openly joined uh, the Nation of Islam and changed his name from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali. And so it was just really talking about him creating... Uh, sort of the um his persona uh and how he worked you know took elements from wrestling 
uh, as the braggadocious young fighter. And it was really a lot about boxing. So if you're not into boxing, I don't know how much you're going to love the first episode. And I'm, But I'm a big boxing fan. I don't know if I ever shared that with you, Ramona, but I love boxing. I watched a lot of it when I was a kid. And he was, it's just vintage footage. I urge every, I mean, it's just like the footage of, you talk about the Beatles. When Muhammad Ali was training in Miami uh, in 64, the Beatles came through and there's images of Muhammad Ali goofing around with the Beatles and the just footage of Ali with uh, Malcolm X. Uh, It's just fabulous. Just taking us, got to give Ken Burns credit, digging up this uh, this footage and just bringing us right back to a certain point in time. And Muhammad Ali's personality is so strong in that fight scene. Oh, man, the fight with Liston. So I'm not sure you'll like the first episode so much because it's so much unboxing. My guess is you'll probably be more appreciative of the subsequent ones. But it's interesting. Uh, his, um, You talk about cancel culture. Man, Muhammad Ali, they canceled his culture. They took away yes. his title. They tried to uh, throw him in jail because he said he wouldn't fight. He didn't want to be drafted because it was against his religious beliefs. I didn't see one white Christian fundamentalist defending Muhammad Ali's religious liberties. This is why I'm saying cancel culture, Ramana, is so full of BS. It's all about like some white guy. You get what I'm saying? Nobody defended Muhammad Ali. That's what I'm saying. I, I I said that people of color have been being canceled from day one. And Muhammad Ali is like a great example. I mean, it wasn't until he got older. I watched another documentary about Muhammad Ali and it talked about how when he changed his name, changed his name and reporters would just refuse to call him Muhammad Ali. They'd call him Cassius Clay. It's like he changed his name, but they would still use it. It was just this disrespect. So, yeah, that's my whole argument. It's like when you read history and you you hear about famous people, a lot of famous people of color, they say something that, you know, the general American public or white America doesn't agree with. They get canceled right away. And this has been happening. I've watched this happen for most of my life. I've seen this happen with people. Like they'll say something that's offensive to white America and they get canceled. They're like, this is offensive. You know, people put out statements. But now, that's what I'm saying. Now that white people are scared, you know, things that they've said or things that they've done is objectionable. Everybody's like, well, you know, maybe cancel culture is going is a little too extreme. Yeah, it was okay when Muhammad Ali was getting canceled. Exactly. But now, I don't know. You know, <laughs> I can't even make a joke about a fat woman. Ugh. Um, <laughs> you know, cancel culture is made up. Uh, all right, and uh, so I urge everybody to check out the Muhammad Ali, and I'm a little disappointed Ramana has not, uh, and she has a homework assignment for the next time. A Lewinsky impeachment. Go ahead. I have to tell you, the only reason I couldn't is because I was off last weekend. I was not off, sorry. I was out of town last weekend in Minnesota, and I, I know Mick wants to watch the show, and he doesn't watch shows on weekdays, so that's the only reason. I came back on Monday. That's why we haven't started. And we only watch, we, we, if I watch a show with Mick, we watch it on either Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. So I came back on a Monday. We're not going to watch anything until maybe Sunday because we're going to Michigan this week. So I'm just saying the reason why I didn't start it already. I, I, otherwise, if it was a show that I was watching by myself, I would have started by now. All right. By the way, and, and I forgot, uh, Romana went with her family to uh, Minnesota this week. And she went to uh, Paisley Park, Prince's home. Talk about that. 
yeah, um, it was a girl's trip. So my mom and my sisters went to go visit a friend and another friend of ours from Texas was there. So yeah, I've always wanted to go to Paisley Park. I was like, I was, I'm in Minnesota, might as well check it out. But yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. I think if you're a Prince fan, even if you like him a little, it's, it's pretty interesting. He's had, he's had that Paisley Park for a long, long time. And it looks like, it looks very unassuming, like a dentist's office. If you see the building from the outside, you would never think that it's something where Prince lived or had his studios. And so you get a tour, you obviously don't get to see the entire um, place, but you get to see bits and pieces of it. You get to see some studio. There's different tours too. We got the mid-level tour. There's one that's more expensive than that, but that has like food. And I'm like, I don't really need to eat and you know, drink wine at the end. I don't drink. So, but um, it was, it was pretty cool. And I was telling Mick, my husband, who's a huge Prince fan that I had more in common with um, Prince than he did because they have a shoe collection right now where they have all of Prince's, they had like 300 plus shoes of Prince in this one room. And he all kind of wore the same shoes, but he got them all custom made. And I love shoes. And then his handwriting was very good. My His handwriting looked more like mine than Mick's. And so, no, but it, it was pretty interesting. You get to see his office and they, you know, they left a lot of this, his spaces, the spaces where he worked, the same as it was when, when he died. So when, you know, you can't really go into his office, but you, you're standing right there and there's a little like, you know, there's like a, some places where you can't go, but you could see it. And, you know, he still has a, you know, paper pad, you know, he's writing things down and we got to see his uh, place where he ate every day. It was kind of, it's kind of like a cafeteria. I thought it was a little weird to eat dinner there every day. It looks like a cafe, but you'd be, uh, you'd like this. He had a TV, the, he had a TV on there and he'd be watching and the NBA or the WNBA most nights. He was a huge basketball fan, as you know. In fact, one of the rooms they took us in used to be a half court where he shot hoops. So that was pretty cool. I think if you ever go to Minnesota, I would recommend Paisley Park, even if you're like, even if you like, just like Prince songs, you're not like a huge fan, but you just like him. It's, it's pretty cool to see. It may be the only reason uh, I ever go to Minnesota. Um, yeah. Oh, I've just uh, <laughs> insulted all our Minnesota listeners, but uh, not, a, I don't know, for some reason, you know, I'm going to end it right there before I insult anybody else from Minnesota. Yeah, but you know, we, uh, we also, you know, culture canceled. <laughs> Go ahead. What were you saying? No, no, no. But I, I, I only went to Minnesota twice before and there for a wedding. So I just kind of came in and out and a friend, this friend has been living in Minnesota for years. And she's like, I always visit Chicago. You guys never come to Minnesota. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, we'll come, we'll come. So we did. And we, there are actually a lot of interesting things. Um, you know, the George Floyd memorials there, which was very somber to see. Um, there's a huge Somalian um, refugee population. We went to the shopping area where, um, and it basically transports you back to, you know, another country. It's it's really fascinating, but um, it's 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 an interesting city. It's I always like say it's not Chicago, but I shouldn't compare everything to Chicago. No. I'm 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 a, I'm very biased. I always think Chicago is the best. So, uh, and. Uh... Yeah, I, I was about to say it's not Chicago, so that's not necessarily a bad thing. All right, Romana, <laughs> uh, it's a blast uh, talking to you as always, and uh, I know you're going to be dutiful this week, uh, and you're going to watch the Lewinsky-Clinton uh, yeah. show. I cannot uh, recommend it enough, um, and I'll just hold back on that until you get to watch it. We could talk about Ryan Murphy. I'm just, I just think Ryan Murphy is, is brilliant in so many ways, and that's the, the man who produced it. 
Uh, I know I'm not giving credit to the people who actually directed it and wrote it uh, and starred it, but it's his, mm-hmm. sort of his vision. Um, anyway, uh, Ramana Hussein from the Chicago Sun-Times, it's always a blast talking to you. Uh, thanks for coming on again. Thank you. That's Ramana Hussein. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.